Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, day 97. Gosh, we're getting terribly near the end, aren't we? Should we try to go out with a bang? I, I don't mean in a kind of, like, rampage or spree or, or some kind of dark pact. I just mean having fun. No, no, what I'm hoping to do with our last few days together is, is sort of cinch up everything we've covered to help unify and undergird the principles we've worked on. Remember the primacy recency effect? Of course you do. Well, we're in the recency era of this 100-day challenge now, and what I underline now will inevitably form the bulk of what you consciously take away. This isn't to say that nuance doesn't exist or that it's pointless or that the middle of anything just gets utterly lost and you can't remember it. Just emphasising a few key tent poles at the end helps lift the entire enterprise. We've covered a lot, right? And I just want to remind you of how far you've come and how much you now know, how empowered you are to take your writing journey wherever you want. You may, of course, be thinking, oh my God, I'm not ready. That's the odd experience I have every time I reached the end of writing a book. For ages, I felt like I'm climbing this mountain that the day it's finished will never come. Then my editor's saying, okay, should we send this off to get made into proofs? And all at once I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> ah, stamp this permanently in ink into paper, these exact words, and then ask people to pay money for it. Wait, 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 give, just give me a week. or oh, Give me two. All at once, it feels real in a deadly way. And the idea that the process has an end which is an idea that's been sustaining me the whole time, this will one day be over, is suddenly terrifying and absurd. Because actually this thought that we're unfinished, that we're not proper writers, that we're not ready, that, that, that's a, that can be a very comforting belief. You know, it takes the pressure off. Of course I don't need to hold what I'm producing today to professional standards because how could I write something real that would appear in a real book? I'm not a real author. Now... What might surprise you is I'm not about to say, guess what, buddy? You are a real author. Time to raise your expectations. Actually, I think maintaining the belief that you don't really know what you're doing, that you're not a real author and that what you produce will often be messy and charmingly misshapen is actually very adaptive and wise. Because the mythic super confident writer who exudes page after page of assured prose like a medium puking ectoplasm doesn't really exist, except in a sort of few edge cases where someone finds a style and a particular subject matter and then essentially writes the same book again and again and again. Which, I mean, you can if you like, but it's a kind of creative death. At the very least, I think it's a, it's a, it's a shame. You know, between you and me, I, I've spoken to some very successful writers in a variety of media who kind of off record, off mic, not in the context of a formal interview, have, have confided that they feel trapped by their voice, by the expectations of their audience, who have sometimes written quite different work privately. They even showed it to me, but they don't share it publicly because they know or at least suspect that's not what their audience wants, that their audience want more of the same. I don't know. It's just it's interesting, isn't it? There is no end, no far shore upon which you'll finally land and come to some state of perfect rest. This game we play of creation, of storytelling, can only exist on the waves. There are ups and there are downs. And you never win it. You can only play it. Today I just wanted to bring you back to some fun, basically, to remind you of ways you can turn your brain towards the expansive, generative, divergent thinking mode. 
But I do think that this language of divergent versus convergent thinking is, is misleadingly oppositional. And I should say largely manufactured by neuroscientists and theorists who aren't actually writers or artists, because the problem solving mode of mind isn't, in my experience, meaningfully separate from the idea generating mode. They're two complementary, often overlapping and synergistic processes that interweave and strengthen one another. The exercise you're going to do now will hopefully showcase that. And it's another example of using this principle of constraints breeding creativity, the Olympian approach to creative writing. We've done a few exercises like this throughout the course, indeed. Almost any creative writing exercise is in part about giving writers an arbitrary set of restrictions. You must include this. You must feature this topic. I'm going to give you this long, etc. And afterwards, I might suggest a few more ways you can invent constraints of your own to set yourself little challenges in future that you might enjoy. So it's as simple and as fiendish as this. Today, you're going to have 10 minutes to write a scene, a little story, a piece of fiction, even a poem. It can be about whatever and whoever you like. So far, so broad. Your only restriction is that each word needs to start with consecutive letters of the alphabet. Once you hit Z, start again from A. So, for example, you might start. After breakfast, Claire drew energy from getting her indigo jumper knitted. Like mother, nestled on plush quilts, readily she toiled until very weary, very weary, exhausted, yawning. You'll notice there I allowed myself a cheat using um, exhausted for X. Whether you um, do that is up to you. You might want to challenge yourself, um, but unless you want repeat appearances of X-rays, xylophones and Xanadu, it might be worth considering. On the other hand, you know, you can probably make them work as well. Some stretches will be easier than others, you know, except that going might be slow at times while you write this and that you're going to have to feel the narrative out. Like the letters are going to very much dictate what this story or poem or piece of text ends up talking about. It'll probably sound a bit surreal, a bit mental, but if you can try to make it follow its own odd internal logic and just sort of accept it, then that would be great. Again, you can write a story or you can lay it out a bit like a poem. Don't feel constrained by the usual rules of perfect grammar. You know, I gave an example that was written in big sentences. Doesn't Yours doesn't have to be like that. It can be much more fragmentary if you want to use, you know, sentence fragments, impressions, broken images. That's fantastic. One of the great benefits of taking on arbitrary constraints is how it can force you to write in styles you wouldn't ordinarily, you know, using words you might normally ignore. So, to reiterate, 10 minutes, write a story or poem or weird voice piece where each word begins with a consecutive letter of the alphabet. You might only get through one or two cycles, that's fine, but if you find yourself getting absolutely stumped, maybe check in with yourself to see if you're being perfectionist. You know, is there just a silly or merely adequate word beginning with that letter you could use? Could you jump back one or two words and substitute one for something a little easier? The good news is... If you stack it today, like no hostages' lives are at stake, the payload of high explosives will not be radio detonated under the bridge, your nomination to the Nobel Prize Committee will not be torn up in disgust, no one will know except you. And what you'll know, actually, is, is you tried something difficult, simply for fun, with no prospect of monetary reward, to improve your self-mastery. Which is flipping awesome, you rock. You absolute warrior.
how cool are you? <laughs> That's really great, right? You don't have to be doing this. You can be doing whatever you like. But you chose to do this because you're willing to turn up and be uncomfortable. How cool is that? I think that's. I think that makes you amazing. I think that makes you a complete, complete hero. And unusual compared to a lot of human beings. Just bar- allow yourself to bask in that just a tad because it's true, right? You are, you are so cool. Okay, are you ready? Ten minutes, my noble friend. All the luck in the world to you. Three, two, one, go.
and that's it get anywhere did some words come out however uh interesting now whatever the content of what you see before you on the page i bet you had no idea it was in your mind before you sat down to write today whatever your thoughts on it in terms of style or morality it's an act of creativity it's original and you generated it because i put you in a corner and you said all right i'll have a go so some other constraints you might like to play around with in future i will always have a cheeky soft spot for the univocalism that's where you try to create an entire piece of text using only one type of vowel and of course whatever consonants you want so a e i o or u I remember teaching a class in Brunei where one group of girls I thought were very shy and reserved all lesson ended up writing a poem, univocalism, in E called Sexy Men that started with the opening line, Sexy Men, we see them everywhere. I did blush a bit. In my experience, writing univocalisms is a bit like learning a new language. One of the first things you want to do is find out what the rude words are. You can try, like the exercise we did earlier in the course, setting yourself limitations around syllable or word counts. You know, that's what haiku par partially does, isn't it? Um, like write a whole piece using only words of one syllable or two syllables, or maybe alternate between sentences containing one or the other, or write sentences with escalating syllable counts or de-escalating syllable counts or... I don't know, like try writing a piece where each sentence is one word longer than the last, resetting when you hit 10. It's all sorts of things you can do with that that you can have a lot of fun with, or at least limited fun with for a while. But it can help you find your voice, right? Because as you start putting yourself, putting these constraints on yourself, you see what your tendencies would have, would have been, what habit energy would have brought you towards. And... That's really, really interesting because most of the time, as the Ulipo were quick to say, we are just following rules that we, we, we've so internalised we don't notice. We're just following habits. We're following patterns that we haven't chosen because they're there, because we've read them other, other places, because it's what we've always done. And what this does is break you out of that and give you back your freedom ironically you know you could limit yourself to one adjective per paragraph or no adjectives you can restrict yourself to writing a scene where the only senses you use are touch taste and smell that'd be tricky or you might restrict yourself to always describing objects or experiences using the quote-unquote wrong sense you know telling us a car alarm has a sour metallic flavor or that the pain in the protagonist's stomach is a rich fluctuating indigo Maybe once every other page you might make yourself briefly tell the story behind an object you mention. Maybe once per page you might make yourself mention an animal in some way, even if you do so through a metaphor. Every time we meet a new character, you might make yourself tell us a one-sentence anecdote about them or, you know, their favourite food. Of course, these restrictions are arbitrary and in some sense silly, uh, just like the rhyme scheme in a sonnet or the rules of tennis. But they can also quite accidentally become machines for style, for feats of human ingenuity and for teaching the reader expectations, which the reader then learns to look forward to. If, for example, you always introduce characters along with an anecdote about a pet they once had, we come to expect it. And when, I don't know, your protagonist's notoriously difficult boss that we've heard about by reputation you know for a lot of the story finally appears in a scene the reader will be thinking hmm 
I wonder what pet story they're going to have and, and what it will tell me about them. I don't know. I, I, I know that might sound like a sort of weird or silly example, but it's funny how something apparently silly and pointless can end up being the making of a story, being the part of the voice that the readers talk about with each other. Most of the fingers' normal ways of telling a story have been done, right? Come up with even small innovations and you can take that to the bank. You look like a visionary because no one can get what you've just given them anywhere else in any other story. And all you were doing was mucking around. Mischief. It's the way forward, my dear friend. Right, I think I've conveyed what I need to for today. Take care of yourself. Go and perform some profoundly wise and kind act of self-care upon yourself. The world needs more people willing to look after themselves and treat themselves with love. You are certainly someone who deserves to do that. Thank you for your hard work today. Well done. I shall see you tomorrow. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.